And now, just in case you might be a little upset at your alarm clock, don't be. It's not its fault. It's another super day. (laughs) Time to wake up and begin Uh, here with Magnificat Radio, MagnificatMedia.com. This is your morning tradition. Mike and Lisa Austin here on the Wake Up Services, where we are. Living our faith. That traditional Catholic faith. And uh, the big hair lady over there on microphone number two. Yeah, it's a big Magnificat day. Have a Magnificat day. Somebody, who started that? Somebody said that to us. I don't remember. Yeah, maybe ordinations. Well, uh, we uh, welcome you to a Wednesday morning. It's the 17th of August. Praise be Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Now and forever. Joining us today will be Louis Tufari, usually our Wednesday guest. Louis comes in, talks a little bit about stuff. Louis has, a, a, of course, a website, uh, romanitaspress.com. And our, his show here on uh, on Magnificat Radio every Thursday throughout your day, it's learning about the Roman liturgy. Uh, so we'll talk to Lewis today about, um, I think you wanted to talk about the raising of the host, something like that. Uh, yes, yeah, and he I also believe. Had, he had something else he wanted to mention, so we'll find out what that's about okay. <clears throat> coming up later. And then we're hoping to get a hold of Brian McCall uh, in the second half of the show. Brian, you may remember, is the guy who was our contact down in Oklahoma City on Monday uh, when they were uh, getting ready to do that massive reparation and all of that. And so I was uh, I asked him if he would have time for us this morning just to sort of check in and give us an update how right. things went. Mm-hmm. You may have already heard how things went. Uh, we had a couple of phone calls uh, on the way home from Mass Monday night. And uh, so we'll, just, we'll have Brian on to talk a little bit about that and a recap from Oklahoma City. Right. Some more details. Yeah. Yeah. Some interesting details. And then later our feature we call, Aren't You Glad You Homeschool? Again. Yes. yes. And especially this time of year. You ever talk to your, say, your non-Catholic uh, friends or your friends who have their kids in public school and they have all these weird things uh, yes, I, or maybe they try mm-hmm. to do the right thing and then the, the parents give them backlash exactly that's what this one's all about oh yeah this is a thing in a middle school public school that the administration is trying to do the right thing oh the parents are going man eh, no <laughs> oh lisa lisa oh you'll be happy with this Huh. Today is Love My Feet Day. <laughs> I do love that. Oh, you do. Lisa Lisa will at the end of a hard day. Uh those rare <laughs> Are you occasions. Share some information, Mike. Can I? <laughs> I don't care. All right. So this I think is cool. I mean, well, on your end is cool. I don't know. Apparently the kids like it. I I say you've brainwashed them, but No, I didn't. Yes, you had a plan from early the early stages of their life. You tell them, see, here's how it works. <laughs> You're gonna okay, go ahead. <laughs> and now I will tell you how it works in the book of Mike. Okay. So if you have children and when they're little tiny kids, if you raise them up to say to, to you tell them that chair, you don't say that chair. You call it a tree. Okay? Okay. They will grow up thinking the chair is called a tree. 
until they get out someplace and someone says, what are you calling it a tree for? Because that's what I was taught, right? I guess. Okay. Now, <laughs> follow my logic here. There's reasoning uh-huh. somewhere in there. Uh-huh. Lisa, early on, as soon as the children were old enough to stand at her feet, her bare feet kicked up in the reclining chair, told them what an honor and what a cool thing it was to touch mother's feet and to rub lotion on them. And she said, you know, a lot of children in the world wish they could rub lotion on their mother's feet. That's right. You know. What's wrong with that? There are entire game shows in which the award is rubbing lotion on mother's feet. And they're like, really? Wow. (laughs) I can't wait. Yes, it was going to be in the Olympics. No. Yes. What I did is. Mother feet rubbing. All I did was I was exhausted. And my feet hurt because I'm on my feet all day. And ladies, you know what I'm talking about. So uh, my feet are propped up. They're mm-hmm. swollen. They hurt. And I say, would you just mind if you just rub some lotion on my feet? My feet are perfectly fine. They're pretty. No, There's oh, nothing wrong with my feet. Okay? Your feet are pretty because they're on the on the ends of your legs. <laughs> and Yours. hidden from the world. Your particular feet. <laughs> However... Feet in general are never meant to be touched yes, unle- they are. unless you are a rubber gloved podiatrist. <laughs> then and only then. Oh, Mike, that's just because you've had some bad experiences with your own feet. <laughs> but I say all that to say all and this. And the kids love it. Well, that's the thing because you raised them from their kids, their they childhood. They think they're going to be Olympians. What an honor it is that they could rub their mother's feet. That is true. I it is do an honor. that for you? It is an honor. And I say, yes, you do. Could you do that for me? The queen of our house, the queen of our castle. And they said, sure, mother, we'll be happy. Because they think they're going to be in the Olympics someday. (laughs) Well, they do. The Olympic foot rubbing team. They do it because they love me. Yeah, it's true. They do. I love my children. It is the oddest thing, though, because people, strangers would be over for dinner or something. Mother, can we rub your feet? And we get this look. You're like, what? Yeah, she's got them. It's literally trained. (laughs) Can we rub your feet? Yeah, yeah so, they actually did at one point, didn't they? Yeah. Today is National I Love Your Feet Day, and then also it's National Thrift Shop Day. So we oh, salute you, I Thrift like Shop. I like that, too. Thank you, St. Vincent de Paul. Mm-hmm. I love that. being thrifty. So uh, there you go. You We're, know, you can be really thrifty by going to the clearance sections on the off-seasons. And I found a brand-new shirt for one of the girls. Mm-hmm. Never worn, never touched. For $2. Boom. I love that. <laughs> Boom. Done. Uh-huh. You know how I bargain shop? What? I really did. I thought I was going to bargain shop. Okay. You know that shirt I have with the epaulette things? It looks like a safari shirt on the on the shoulders, the little button things, the flaps? Mm-hmm. I got that because uh, a client of mine gave me an Old Navy gift card at Christmas. Yeah. So I went, yeah, this Old Navy. Never shop there. I right. never go to Old Navy. No. What am I going to find? And it was. It was hard for me to find something there that, you know, middle-aged man doesn't usually go to Old Navy. <laughs> but he gave me an Old Navy gift card. Okay. So I went there. And I found these shirts. They had epaulets on them. And they're like safari shirts. I look like a general. Yeah. And they were marked way down cheap. I went, yeah. And you could wear it around the house and people and the kids will go, yes, sir. Yeah, uh-huh, they should anyway. Yeah. And then they rub your feet. So... <laughs> I got this thing. You know why it was marked way down? This is how I bargain shop. I mess up. I didn't look at it. I'm going, what's wrong with this? How come they're marked? And the lady, I don't know. Maybe it's just the wrong color. It's white. 
What can you go? Can't how can, go how wrong can you with go wrong with white? Uh huh. I don't know. Well, okay. It took me a couple of times of wearing it to realize it's why a girl it, shirt. No, why it looks goofy. Oh, why? The buttonholes don't match exactly up with where the buttons are. Oh, it's off. Oh, and that would bug you. It bugs me extremely. And then, so every time I put it on, I'm going, oh, yeah, I'm getting home today. I'm ripping the buttons off and moving them down a quarter inch. <laughs> Never happens. Because you don't have the time. And I'd give it to Maria, but she doesn't have the time. <laughs> give it to you. You don't have the time. So that's my bargain shopping. I buy shirts that matches the buttons don't match. Well, you have to shop in the right places. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> but that's the way that is. Anyway, uh, we're going to take a little break, get some news headlines from Stephen Cox over in the Michigan News Bureau. Stephen. On the Feast of the Assumption of Mary into Heaven, a satanic group used the Oklahoma City Civic Center to perform a black mass. Catholics from America Needs Fatima.com and Tradition Family and Property were on hand to make reparations for the blasphemous act. I'm here to defend our Lord's name, his honor, his uh, reputation. That so many people defile. A major political shakeup in Russia has some wondering if Vladimir Putin is planning a new direction for his country. 44-year-old Anton Vano, who takes over as head of Russia's presidential administration, is replacing Sergei Ivanov, Putin's longtime chief of staff who has held a variety of senior roles since Putin came to power in 1999. At least 40,000 homes have been flooded and eight people are now dead following a deluge of rain in Louisiana. Governor John Bell Edwards spoke at a news conference saying well over 20,000 people have been rescued since the flooding began last Friday. Since then, more than two feet of rain has inundated the southern part of the state over the past couple of days. Many homes and other businesses are still underwater. For Magnificat Radio News, I'm Stephen Cox. All right, those stories and more coming up later with Stephen Cox. And uh, he'll have all the details. But right now, Lisa, I have details for you in the form of how can you know where you're going? If you don't know where you've been. That's why we do this day in history. We obey history. Any day in history. Day that will go down in history. History of this day. This day in history. This day in history. Today is August the 17th. It is the 230th day of the year of our Lord, 2016. It was on this day in 309, 310. Pope Eusebius, Eusebius, right? He got banished by Emperor Maxentius to Sicily, and he died there, probably from a hunger strike, they think. On this day in 1560, the Roman Catholic Church is overthrown, and Protestantism is established as a national religion in Scotland. 1585, a first group of colonists sent by Sir Walter Raleigh under the charge of Ralph Lane landed in the New World to create Roanoke Colony in Roanoke Island off the coast of present-day North Carolina. Isn't that the one that disappeared? Something. I think it was, yeah. Mm-hmm. On this day in 1740, Pope Benedict XIV, previously known as Prosperio Lambertini, yeah. succeeds Clement XII as the 247th Pope. Way to go with the Italian, Lisa. Good job. I'm trying. Lambertini. like that. 1807, Robert Fulton's steamboat, the Claremont, uh, began its trip up the Hudson River to Albany. On this day in 1863, Fort Sumner, South Carolina, was bombarded by Union ships during the Civil War. In 1896, prospectors found gold in them, their hills in Alaska. Discovery set off the Klondike Gold Rush. 
On this day, August 17th in 1978, the first successful transatlantic balloon flight landed outside of Paris. And today is Love Your Feet Day. Yes. And it's National Thrift Shop Day. So go boldly and... It's a great day. Shop thriftily for shoes, I guess. That would work. All right. And now you know where you have been. Na, 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 na. That's your day in history. I was just trying to find a little song that I used to like to listen to as a kid. Uh, there it is. It's all about the Alaska Gold Rush. North... And there's your Gold Rush song of the world. Okay, we get it. That happened in uh, 1896. There you go. We're going to take a break and come back. We're going to talk to Louis Tofari from RomanitasPress.com and learning about the Roman liturgy right here on Magnificat Radio, MagnificatMedia.com, where we are... Living our faith. Just a little southeast of Nome. Back once again here on Magnificat Radio at MagnificatMedia.com. It's your morning tradition with Mike and Lisa Austin here where we are. Living our faith. And joining us now from RomanitasPress.com on the web and host of Learning About the Roman Liturgy, none other than, ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous, the very tall, the... I'm trying to come up with just crazy adjectives that are out of the ordinary. Louis Tufari, everybody. <laughs> hey, Mike. Hi, Lisa. How are you guys? We're fine, thank good. you. Before we get into today's topic, I want to ask you about this MC boot camp you've got going. Now, do you get a little general's outfit you put it on? Or? No, no. The only general's outfit I ever have is, you know, cassock and surplus. Okay. <laughs> You should you should have some sort of jacket or something with the epaulets or something on the shoulders. Well, I, what I do have is a, a commemorative T-shirt that was given to me back in uh, 1996 when I first left the uh, parish. I was the first chapter president of the Archconfitory St. Stephen chapter they had, and my nickname was King Louis. <laughs> and uh, part of that was because of King Louis the Monkey from the Jungle Book. Oh, no. Uh, one, one of the families had actually made up a song about me being King Louis, the president of the Arch Confraternity, and they made up a whole song with lyrics, and I got this nickname named King Louis, which a few of my my friends, my older friends, who were my first altar servers at that time, still call me King Louis once in a while. Oh, that's funny. Um, yeah, so I have that T-shirt still. But I have that, but I don't, wear, I don't wear it very often. Well, you're, the MC boot camp you're going to do, is this part of uh, Romanitas Press that, that uh, you're putting on? It is. It's something I do offer through Romanitas Press. I have offered at other chapels before. Um, I'm doing it for my, my parish, where I'm the local president of the guild chapter. And, mm-hmm. and essentially what it is, is, in this case, you know, it could be three days long. Or we can do a real compact version in two days. Um, I'm doing a four-day version, which allows me to cover some more things, Um a little more in depth, you might say, like hmm. being able to go over the positions a little bit more, stuff like that. But it, it covers a whole gamut of things, and the idea is that you know the MC should really be as familiar with these liturgical things as possible, whether it's about the sacred vestments, how to how to set them up, the, some of the history of the development, the symbolism behind them, the prayers used that the celebrant says, because uh, you never know when the MC might have to fill in as a sacristan. The sacred vessels used at mass again, some of their history, their use the rules that go with them, um, the altar, its form, 
the appointments, you know, like the candlesticks, the crucifix, the vesting of the altar, the chalice linens, um, the altar linen. So, I mean, and then we go through liturgical books. We go through the missal in detail. They learn the missal section by section. They learn how to set it up. Um, They learn the MC's position, of course. Um, They learn the general principles of ceremonies. This is a really important part. so there's a whole bunch of stuff that you know, we're giving them at once. And even with the missile, I try to give them a little bit of history of the development of the missile. Hmm. Um, well, that's fantastic, Lewis. And thank God that you can do this in, in four days. Well, three days. Yeah, I thought it was four. This will be four days. Oh, this four. one is, uh, this is the first time I've done it in four days. Usually when I've gone to another chapel or I've done it here, um, it's been three days. And, in fact, here at, uh, at St. Vincent's, usually what I do is, you know, I do a, uh, over over a few months. I would do you know these MC classes. I call them the MC program, and then they would get you know they'd have to sit there and listen to me for two or three hours, and then we we go through all these things. But in this case, kind of had to get some new MCs going right away, um, so didn't have that luxury. And actually, I like this better. The boys get to be together. Yeah, spend some time together. Sure. Uh, they actually stay at my house overnight. Oh, I bet your wife um, is happy her. about that. Oh, well, she goes. She goes and takes the family, and they go visit her folks. Okay. So she gets out of the she vacates the house. She's happy to do it. Well, that she works. So she gets to visit her family. Get away for a while. Yeah, that, that's pretty slick. So that's uh, that. She gets to see her family. You have uh, you get a lot of work done, and really, it's kind of a social thing too. There at the house, I would suppose. So that's right. Kind of and nice. we we even do like a, I like to call it the monastic schedule. Get up in the morning for prayers at the church. Go to church every day. Um, they might even have serving mass. Um, you know, basically, we we have. When we have lunch and dinner, there's a spiritual reading that goes with it. There's times that, that we go over to the church for meditation and everything. Very nice. Um, you know, they get the so basically you get this kind of schedule you would see, you know, I like to call it a monastic schedule, but, yeah. you know, it's, it's a schedule you'd see in any religious community. So huh. packed in with all the classes and recreation periods that they get. Yeah. They also get this chance, you know, to to improve their spirituality as well. well, well ladies and gentlemen, I I had no idea it was this in depth. I um, even tried to have the priest come over and give some conferences. Oh, that's awesome! That's so, great. Yeah. yeah, that works out yeah, well. So if someone is interested in you working with their MCs or any of their altar boys to get them more familiar with what they're doing, why they do what they do, um, how would they go about doing that, Lewis? So all they've got to do is, is uh, email me at info at romanitaspress.com. And, and this class is really good for anyone who's 12 or up. And I always very uh, encourage and recommend any other men, even if you're not serving, even if you're just the father or the server, or, you know, but you're, you're a man in the parish. Because usually when I host these in the parish, you know, it's in the parish hall that we have the classes and conferences in the sanctuary. But... So even if you're never going to, let's say you're an adult man, mm-hmm. okay? Let's say you're Mike Austin. Hello. A great guy to be. Hello? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Hello. Yeah, I, I am yeah. me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Maybe pretend you're Mike Austin, okay? <laughs> you run a radio show, and you got a wonderful wife and all these kids. But you don't really plan to serve on the altar, but you go to Sunday Mass, blah, blah, blah. Still, Mike Austin, if you come to these classes, you'll learn so much about the liturgy. There's so much that's covered. And it makes you a better Catholic man, mm-hmm. makes you a better Catholic husband. Because, for instance, to give you an example, I had one guy, I was actually privately tutoring him oh. to become an MC. And he, his wife came up to me, he's one of my friends, his wife came up, thank you so much, because 
he's now trying to explain the liturgy to us, and I'm learning all the stuff I never knew before. Oh, Albie, I love that. Yeah, and it, it's really the father of the family who should communicate these things to his wife and to his children. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, we cover some of that on the on the father show on the the Trad Dead Roundtable. You know what? Um, yeah, Father Weber said one time on the pulpit, we were right there, and I felt really guilty. It was like he was pointing right at me. We were visiting Michigan, and Father Weber said, uh, he mentioned that there was altar boy practice, and he said, by the way, men, if you want to show up, he said, because every Catholic man should know how to serve, and I, I didn't. I was like, oh, oh well. <laughs> so this is a good thing. But, yeah, yeah, and then, you know, with the class, I actually show videos, I show pictures, I, you know, there's... You know, there's, there's lots of those books that they're coming out of. There's a there's a compendium that I've developed for MCs, which I'm actually working on a new edition of now, a new and improved edition. But so you know, we make these things really interesting. I try to make these things as interesting as possible. You know, they end up a lot in the faculty. You know, we end up doing stuff. There's practicums. There's little fun tests I do with them. Uh, like one of the things I have to learn is their cues as an MC. Um, that's related to Gregorian chant. So, for instance, during the Gloria, there's times they have to turn a bow first to the celebrant and then to the altar. It's actually there to signal him to take off his beretta and bow, but in places they don't wear a beretta, it's just for him to bow. But, you know, during the credo, there's also other times he has to signal them um, during, like, maybe the gradual or hallelujah when when to return back to the altar to impose incense if they're singing the full chant. They have to learn all this. One of the little little practices they get is I actually play some – they have to look up their cue Mm -hmm. in the right book, figure out what their cue is, turn around, face the wall, I play the music, and then when they think their cue is hit, they have to turn around. Cool. It's kind of interactive. I know, and I make it even more interactive because at St. Vincent's, it's a real long church, and it's hard to hear the scola sometimes singing from the way back of the church. It's like singing in a window. And there's all the noises being made. You know, Mm -hmm. the little children screaming and crying, people walking up and down the aisles. So I imitate what it sounds like at St. Vincent's for real. Baby noises and all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet that's a sight. <laughs> well, so this is this is pretty. No, this is great. Louis Tafari from Romanitas Press. So you can hire him. He will travel and he can train your altar servers in way more yeah. in depth than you ever thought of. And it's interactive. It's not just a lecture and a note taking. Right. He makes it that. interesting. That's very cool. Hey, Louis, let's. I tried, yeah. I want to, let's get to today's thing because I we wanted to get onto this. Uh, I think we may have touched on this briefly before. You had it in learning about the Roman liturgy, uh, your show, which, of course, airs every Thursday here throughout your day on uh, Magnificat Radio. But we're talking about that point of the Mass, the the, the consecration, when uh, Father is uh, turned to, you know, he's facing the altar. Yes, he is. And, uh, all right, so the elevation, he holds up the host and... And you see it held high. Depending on who the priest is, sometimes it's really, really, really high if he's really tall. Um, has that always been? No, that's not always actually been the practice. Um, and first thing, uh, historically, it was the minor elevation, uh, at the uh, which occurs during the periopsum, so towards the conclusion of the canon. Um, the celebrant would take the host, and uh, he would raise it with the chalice very slightly, and most people can't even see him doing it because it's hidden behind his chasuble. He only raises it to about the level of maybe his face. Hmm. That's about as high as it would go. So that was the first initial the minor elevation you would do there, and it was kind of a concluding action to the silent cannon. And then he would uh, break into the uh, the potter and austere, which, of course, was done audibly. Now, the major elevations, 
as we see them today, of the uh, host immediately after its consecration and the chalice with the precious blood immediately after its consecration um, is, in some sense, a little more recent. Um, that occurred actually in the 12th century, the later part of the 12th century, uh, in reaction to a theological dispute. Uh, there was uh, two two Peters, Peter Manducator and Peter Con- uh, Cantor, uh, who were noted theologians of their time uh, in France. And Peter Cantor especially uh, was teaching that the transubstantiation, that is the, the bread mm-hmm. uh, of the host actually changing into the body and blood, soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, but retaining the accidental qualities of bread still, that didn't actually occur until after the consecration of the precious blood. Uh, later, of course, the Church realized this is an error. This is a, a, it's a theological error, or heresy even. Um, and at that time, it wasn't defined totally clearly. So in, uh, in, in uh, opposition, in protest of this um, theological opinion, which was rapidly gaining some favor, uh, particularly it was uh, Bishop de Sully, it was the Archbishop of Paris. He ordered his priests to elevate the hosts uh, at this time in opposition of that error to show that no once once you cre- once you said the words of consecration or the formula of consecration over the host over the bread, it is transubstantiated immediately into the body and blood and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't doesn't occur after effect with the precious blood. Now, interesting two things here is first. They weren't necessarily elevating it so the faithful could see it. It was just the priest elevating it just to signify it for the priest. Later they began to elevate it enough so that the faithful could see it and they could adore our Lord, which became kind of a hallmark of the Middle Ages, you might say. Also, it's noteworthy is that this elevation of the host was the only thing that was elevated. Even though they went on to consecrate the chalice, the precious blood, they weren't elevating the chalice yet. That, that came a little bit later. Ah. Um, and something else that's really interesting is this did not become an accepted practice in the Roman Rite, in the Roman Church, until the 15th century. So we're seeing this first in, like, the Gallican Rite or the Parisian Rite, which is what would have been used at this time, um, but it's not necessarily in the Roman Rite yet. So what took, um, the, what took the Roman Rite so long? It's just the Roman Rite, you have to understand that the, the, in Rome, they resisted a lot of these things for a long time just because this wasn't the custom of Rome. So, same thing, for instance, like, um, you know, the ringing of the bell is strictly prescribed in the Missale Romanum only for the Sanctus and only for the elevation, the minor, sorry, the major elevation. So, and now, the, by the way, so at this time, the bell might have been rung for the Sanctus in many places, but it wasn't necessarily being even done in Rome yet. Hmm. And later all these things were... In fact, we need to talk about the Papal Mass in a minute, because there's a couple neat things about the elevations at the traditional Papal Mass. Um, so it's just Rome was kind of resistant to adopting things that were against the already immemorial Roman custom. And it often took time for these things to become... The Roman practice, and this this is one of those examples. In fact, by the way, in the Carthusian rite, the Carthusians, their order has their own rite. They still don't do the elevations. Oh, oh, interesting. 
So what is the posture? Because we were talking postures, uh, uh, what, last time around? What is the posture? Well, not so much the posture of the faithful, but when Father does the major elevation, I see people uh, beating their chest. I see others making the sign of the cross. Uh, is that sort of a personal thing? And then if, are we saying uh, that's that's the, uh, you know, uh, um, what am I trying to say? My Lord and my God, right in there. Uh, do we well, say that for both uh, both species? Well, okay, so the indulgence for is for looking at the, gazing at the host, uh, to adore the host with your eyes, yes. so to speak, and to say, my Lord and my God, I mean, of course, past, repeating the words past. of St. Thomas the Apostle, which gives us belief in, in that is our Lord Jesus Christ. That was given by St. Pius X as a seven years indulgence. And the reason he did that, by the way, was he was fighting um, a Jansenistic mentality, which existed at that time, which was, don't look at the host. You're not not worthy to look at that host. So this is why you'll see in some of these older pictures, you'll see some people are actually bowed over, not looking at the host at the elevation, and others are. In fact, you can even find pictures of the papal mass where some, because that's what they were taught, Mm -hmm. was, oh, bow your heads at the elevation, don't look at it. And and Pius X was trying to fight that by saying, no, 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 you should be looking at our Lord, gaze at our Lord. In fact, that was the old medieval practice was to gaze at our Lord. And this is how um, exposition of the Blessed Sacrament the Monsters came about, was this great desire to see our Lord. Um, now, as for what to do during the consecration or during the elevation, I, the liturgy gives us the best uh, model for what to do. And the model there is just to sit there and gaze at our Lord. You shouldn't really strike your breast at that time, because striking your breast is a sign of con- of contrition. Right. You're not you're not ex- ex- you're not actually uh, saying anything contrite at this time. Your 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 attitude should be that of adoration. Right. That, um, in fact, that if is, you if you strike your breast, that's sort of like if you were to bow down and not gaze on it. Then I would think because it's well, not I mean, worthy. Right. And these people, then some people are being taught. Will strike the breast and say, "Oh Jesus, mercy on us!" At the same time, like the church's attitude at that time, as given by Pius X, is not contrition. Right. It's not begging Christ's mercy. It's looking at our Lord in adoration, and not only adoring Him, but asking Him to increase our faith in Him. Uh, yeah. This act of adoration, my Lord and my God, right. from Saint Thomas, is you know, I I believe and I adore. The other thing, too, about making the sign of the cross is, well, again, do you see the sacred ministers doing this? No. And and so, um, again, I always say, look, the Church gives us the best ideal on how we should act at Mass, how we should do our prayer devotions. The liturgy is the best balance we can do. We start inventing our own stuff, you know, yeah. then it's, it doesn't have that same sense of balance of piety that we really need. And, and this is something, you know, I'm not going to say anyone's going overboard, but I'm just saying, look, the Roman method is the best method as Roman Catholics. Yes, That's very well said. Perfectly said. Perfectly mm-hmm. said. You wanted to get into the uh, pontifical mass. The papal mass. Yes. And I would like to... So you go up on YouTube, you can type in John 23rd Canon, and you'll see this wonderful video of... It's the um, coronation mass of John the 23rd, and you get to see what I'm about to explain in this video, it's totally awesome. So the papal mass um, w- preserved a lot of the ancient Roman practices that you don't even see in a pontifical mass. 
Um, one example, especially if they would never, they didn't use any bells in the papal mass because once upon a time in the Roman liturgy, there were no bells. Those are later additions. Um, second thing is, at the consecration action uh, at the papal mass, instead of the bells, they would play what was called the uh, Silverini Symphony, which was based, some people called it the Silver Symphony. It's actually Silverini is the composer. And um, they would play it, the noble guards, so this is a personal attachment of the Pope, the, the noble guards would play this on their silver trumpets. Hmm. It's this beautiful, uplifting piece, and you see, and in this video, you see the Swiss Army guards all get down on one knee, uh, it's basically genuflect. They have their halberds in one hand, and they're saluting our Lord in the other, and they all they all drop down there. It's really just going, the noble guards pull off their swords and raise them up in triumph to our Lord. And what's really cool about the uh, elevation at the Papal Mass was the Pope actually would raise the host and do a semicircle to each side oh. of the altar. So he'd actually partially turn a semicircle all the way around, come back and do a semicircle all the way around to the other side. And he would do this with the host and the chalice of with the precious blood. Oh, isn't that something? Yeah. Raised up. And it's really cool. Huh. And right. it's, it's really neat in this video, by the way, because the master of ceremonies is Enrico Dante, very very famous guy, very competent. And um the Pope almost makes a mistake in doing it thanks to the cardinal on the other side who is the book bearer, who tells him ahead of a time the rubric, and Book John Twenty-Third gets confused in what he's doing, and it's really neat if you watch this closely, and you can watch it over and over again because it's YouTube, turn up the volume as far as you can, and you can hear Enrico Dante talking Italian to the Holy Father, saying, no, 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 no. And he's very patient, and he deals with this very well, and he, he prevents the Holy the, the Pope John Twenty-Third from making a mistake in doing this beautiful, unique action of the papal mass which the book player on the other side almost screwed up isn't that something well and there you go another reason why we need louis tafari to teach to teach this stuff see if he if he had gone to your class then no. <laughs> well, we teach the actually it's funny because one of the things i do during during the mc boot camp is i have what's called the the uh saturday night pontifical movie oh it's a pontifical movie Saturday. It's a pontifical Saturday night movie. Is what or sorry, pontifical Saturday movie night. Okay. And we what we do is we watch a bunch of different videos. A part of it is this papal mass. Oh, that's neat. Because it's really cool to see it, and and then you can explain all the extra ministers are and everything and what's going on. I love all the this. Special practices that occur yeah. during the traditional papal mass. Lewis, what's it going to cost to have me come here? Uh, have you come here for your boot camp? What's it cost us? Uh, well, it depends on how many days it can be and everything, and what well, we're going to cover. Now, I want my friend's discount. <laughs> Your friend's discount? Yeah. Um, we'll have to talk about that one in private. Louis <laughs> <laughs> Tafari. You want me to do you a favor? No, no. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm is... going to make him an offer he can't refuse. He can't refuse. Hey, this is what he does for a living, people. We can't do this. Hey, uh, Louis Tafari, we're going to cut you loose. Louis is at RomanitasPress.com. Seriously, if you want to have a boot camp, Louis, this is this is more than lectures. This is not lectures. This is hands-on 
And uh, it, you really need to have this done. This is awesome. You think you guys know how to do what they're idea. doing? We need to do. Everybody should have this done. Lewis, we're gonna get. Uh, we're gonna move on. I, I appreciate your time. We can't uh, wait for uh, learning about the Roman liturgy tomorrow. Lisa, those times: 10 a.m., 1 p.m., 6:30 p.m., and 10 p.m. tomorrow. All right, Lewis. God bless you, my friend. Thank you so much. We'll Thank visit you. RomanitasPress.com. Lewis Tafari, there. God bless. We'll talk later. Take care. God bless. Mike and Lisa. And with that, we'll take a little break and come back here. Uh, Stephen Cox has news of the day and all the information on the headlines he gave us earlier. Later, it's Aren't You Glad You Homeschool? I certainly am. As we head into the school year, I have that story for you. But next, it's Brian McCall, a recap of Oklahoma City coming up. Next, here on Magnificat Radio, MagnificatMedia.com, your morning tradition where we are... Living our traditional Catholic faith. Back again here on Magnificat Radio at MagnificatMedia.com. Mike and Lisa Austin here on your morning tradition where we are... Living our faith. Mr. Brian McCall joins us now on the phone. as We we just we had just talked to Brian the other day, but the reason we wanted to talk again is to get a recap of the activities in Oklahoma the other day. Brian, it's so good to have you back with us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here again. So... Um, I take it that the Black Mass did go and uh, it did happen inside the Civic Center there in Oklahoma City. Yeah, I, I was not personally present obviously. Uh, to find that out, obviously. <laughs> but yes, it, it appears, although, again, thank God, it, the latest reports I heard is he had sold about somewhere between four and ten tickets. So I think it was other than themselves. Yeah. Now, obviously, the offense to God is what it is objectively, whether anybody's there or not. Right. But mm-hmm. still, fewer people were directly affected by participating in this. So, again, I think that I think that was a grace obtained you know, from Our Lady that uh, this would be a flop on his end. Right. Uh, whereas, uh, on the, in terms of the mass of reparation we talked about last time, we couldn't have asked for, for more. Um, I mean... It, Oklahoma is uh, down, you know, just, we're just north of Texas. It's been well over 100, you know, crashing 105 each day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was in the 80s, sort of low to mid-80s, but um, kind of overcast all day. Right as Mass was about to begin, the clouds broke, the sun came out, and it, like I said, it, it could have been pretty miserable <laughs> in wow. terms of the heat. It was just a beautiful day. And in terms of um, number numbers nice. of faithful, is there, is there an, uh, how do you get an accurate count? But, I mean, how, what's the estimates? Yeah. Well, I mean, the estimates, the, you look at it from two perspectives, which were really powerful to me. So, number one, I would estimate, you know, probably north of 800, just based on the number of uh, hosts which were consecrated, distributed. And then there were a lot of priests who were concerned they might run out, or they were, you know, break fracturing hosts to make mm-hmm. more. And then add to that the children and things that, you know, were there. I, I would say a conservative, a safe estimate would be, you know, at least 800, mm-hmm. probably something over that. More impressive in my mind, actually, is... Uh, and this, there was no way to accurately, you know, we didn't survey people as they walked into the park, but um, anecdotally, we talked to people from Canada, Seattle, Washington, New York, Pennsylvania, uh, several large buses from, from Kansas, Texas, Texas, New Mexico. Uh, so the, the sort of geographic distances that people traveled, there was a whole 
a group of scouts, uh, Honor Guard, came from Denver, camped mm-hmm. out, and went to it. A uh, huge bus of Knights of the Immaculata boys from, from St. Mary's, Kansas. Um, again, so those stories, more than the numbers, uh, yes. just sort of the outpouring of generosity. Uh, I'll tell you, in uh, St. Mary's, they were renting, trying to rent buses to you know transport people down. And I called their – they have a St. Joseph Businessmen's Association. Yes, so, yes. Sort of association of businesses. I called them within maybe an hour to two hours. They had raised money from contributing just local businesses who put up the money to rent a bus to um, – Defray the cost, you know, for families that were trying to get there. I mean, literally within one to two hours, just a couple thousand dollars immediately to support this. Several businesses, you know, basically were closed and encouraged their uh, Catholics there to to make the trip down to Oklahoma City for the day. Mm -hmm. Uh, So just an incredible outpouring from all around the North America. Um, we received email communications actually as far as as Mexico and South America from people who saw about the event and just. Went to the trouble to reach out and say, obviously, I can't get there, but we'll be praying for you. So it was really just an incredible outpouring of generosity. Well, and, nice. and lest we get too, for lack of a better term, too giddy over the whole thing, <laughs> um, yeah. it is super, it's, it's a sad, sad situation that it had to come to this and that it had to be like this. And I, I dare say... It may not be over. I mean, it may have to happen no. again and again and again. And that's it, it's it's kind of hopefully we don't come become complacent eventually. No. But um, tell me about. I had heard that there were now the Fatima's uh, the Fatima Center folks were there with the with the didn't they bring a statue from New York? Do you know about yeah, that? So the um, the Fatima Center uh, there was a whole group of them who drove down and they brought with them the National Pilgrim Virgin statue for Canada. Hmm. So in 1967, Pope Paul VI blessed uh, a hand, only a handful, and I think there's only somewhere between 20 and 40 in the world, of um, pilgrim virgin statues, which were to be sent around the world. This one was sent to Canada um, to make make the rounds there. And that group of people who were entrusted with the statues, what eventually became the Fatima Center, hmm. um, and brought in their apostolate. But but their original foundation was to be the guardian to, for the this. Um, statue, which has, they told told me the group that brought it down has had you know several miraculous events occur connected with the statue. Her expressions on her face change, hmm. um, and so it was really. And we were honored that they they brought Our Lady there. And so, uh, as I, we had the the knights and the uh, honor guard from Kansas and Colorado uh, serve as an honor guard and escort the statue of Our Lady into the park and place her in the sanctuary. And then at the end. After Mass, all of the clergy and the lady uh, recited the consecration to, to the, the Immaculate Heart of Mary uh, there. So we were able to, uh, again, as you say, not too happy about the event that gave birth to all this, but it's a great example of how where God doesn't will or, or in the sense of uh, desire evil. I mean, he certainly didn't want this Black Mass to occur, right. but even so powerfully, he can even bring good out of something that had its root you know, some, something evil. Yes, yes. So it sounds beautiful, and and I know a lot of people were there with you in spirit too, including us. Right. Yeah, there were people all over the. I I, I wonder about all over the world, really. You know, because yeah. of the well, and because uh, I mean, we were at mass for the feast day, mm-hmm. and Father made yeah. mention of the activities in Oklahoma on the pulpit, at least at our chapel. And so there wow. were there were uh, people uh, uh, dedicating their their Holy Communion 
Right. Uh, in honor. Yes. So now the this was all well and good. These this was the traditional Catholic response. Um I did see on one of the Oklahoma City TV stations website that it was interesting to me that they interviewed a guy, a Protestant actually, who was talking about what they were going to do and their whole bent was that it's it's more than a Catholic thing, which it, it, thing you know it, it kind of yeah. is. It kind of is in in that it's more of a Catholic thing than not. But I guess what I'm trying to say is, yeah, with um, the the local diocesan response finally ended up happening. But what was that response? Yeah, it was it was interesting. Again, um, our, our the response of our priest was to to bring Calvary to this location. And um, Father McBride's sermon was was excellent. It was really a meditation on the last words of our Lord on the cross, Hmm. uh, because he really emphasized, you know, here where our Lord and our Lady were being mocked, that the response was to to bring the sacrifice of Calvary here, uh, you know, to to make atonement for that. Unfortunately, I think uh, after we had announced this Mass a few weeks later, the the diocese announced that they were going to participate in an ecumenical prayer walk um, through Oklahoma City to a Methodist church uh, and then have a Methodist uh, an ecumenical prayer service, which they went to great lengths to say was not just not about the Black Mass. Uh, they said it was to pray for a variety of things, including uh, economic troubles in Oklahoma, i.e. fallen oil prices, uh, <laughs> Anxiety over the political campaign for the president, and uh, oh, and mind another black mass. So, I mean, again, what, what I found troubling about that, first of all, is they just sort of lumped together a decline in oil prices, Donald Trump, and blasphemy against God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just astounding to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, as well as uh, again, I, I I actually think it's 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 telling that non-Catholics see something wrong with this. I mean, because just even on a natural level, they're, they're disgusting and I've seen things that were going on. Right. Yes. And so I, I certainly am not upset with anyone who, who although not Catholic, says, Whoa, I even I recognize this is this is wrong. And the gentleman to whom I think you refer it's the same story, he actually came to the mass. Uh, he, oh. he came up and introduced himself to me and he said, Hey, I'm I'm not Catholic. I'm I'm but I just wanted to be here to see what you're doing and, and uh to support you in, in you know what you're doing. So I I you can have a respect, natural respect for the gentleman for at least you know, sure. realizing that sure. there was this great hateful act against the church occurring, and mm-hmm. and he recognized that. Yeah. Um, but but again, he's not the he's he's just a Protestant guy. Right. Um, but the, the the spiritual leader of Oklahoma City, that the bishop here, um, it's just sort of a little mind-boggling to me that he wouldn't that an attack on the mass was not met with a you know a a response. Uh, but but to go to a Protestant church where, with all due respect to, to Protestants of goodwill, right. you know, we're not going to pray to Our Lady because they they don't accept her privileges. Yes. Um, it was just a bit bit uh, unusual. I, I thought bizarre. I, bizarre was the word that yeah. I was thinking. But uh, <laughs> we're talking with Brian well, McCall. Well, really? to me, it was, it, it was interesting. Somebody at the mass mentioned to me. I thought it was an interesting phrase. They said, in, instead of meeting this head on. They walked around it. Literally, they oh. just walked right around it yeah. to a Protestant church. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they walked around the subject rather than confronting it. Exactly. Brian, Brian McCall is on the phone with us, uh, kind of helping to coordinate the events the other day. 
uh, uh, Monday at the uh, at the, the the Civic Center public building. That's the thing for me, Brian, is I just can't get around this thing of how does this get through the city fathers of Oklahoma City? Not knowing the political the, the climate in Oklahoma City or anything mm-hmm. like that, but it seems like it, this is the heart of the Bible Belt, if nothing else. And yet, there they are. Isn't Oklahoma City, is, wasn't there a big, uh, uh, one of those uh, evangelist guys used to be there, wasn't, isn't that where they are? Oh, yeah, uh, Oral Roberts. Yeah, wasn't, yes, he was outside of Oklahoma City. He was in Tulsa, but in Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, I guess, I yeah. guess for me, I don't know how somebody says, okay, go ahead, spill some blood in there, and you can consume a pig heart and do all this yeah. other junk that happened. On just yeah. like you said, even a natural level, you would think that some sort of um, uh, civic law, some sort of law, would come into effect here. Well, I mean, what the city's response was is that um, under their understanding of the U.S. Constitution and, and federal law, that uh, if they denied this this thing, that they would get sued and they'd spend all of taxpayers' money defending the lawsuit. And so essentially that was their explanation, mm-hmm. uh, that they didn't want to get embroiled in a lawsuit um, and, and waste, in their words, taxpayers' money fighting this. So, you know, it, it's public space. Anybody can use it. And and they don't want to discriminate, was often said. Well, you know, actually one of the news reporters came up to me uh, and said, well, you're here, you're doing your thing. Why can't they do, you know, say what they believe? And I just said to her, well, first of all, it's not a matter of, you know, what they believe. So they're performing actions. Right. And the public doesn't have to, you know, doesn't allow, doesn't have to allow you to perform these kinds of actions on public. So so it's not really a matter of belief or personal convictions. This is a matter of they're, they're taking public acts. And the mm-hmm. city doesn't have to allow that. But it's just how confused our, our nation has become over these, these things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, where do we go from here? I guess we just, uh, we wait again, and then what, next year is the same thing going to happen, Brian? Uh, uh, well, I pray to God not. I mean, and we we hope not. Uh, we hope that this doesn't repeat itself. Um, but we just, I think, are grateful to God for, for the blessings that, that, that he did bring out of this. Again, that very few people directly experienced this blasphemy, uh, that, that so many more people made atonement to our Lord. Uh, and then, it, it, again, God uses an opportunity for us to reflect on our principles, on our yes. values, yep. uh, and that hopefully, you know, this this will not be permitted uh, again, either because the people decide to stop doing this or the city decides not to allow it again. And we can only hope and pray for that and... Uh, as we pray for the triumph of the Immaculate Heart. Well, and, and why does it seem to be like the significance of down in Oklahoma? Why it seems like a lot of that stuff happens there. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, it, it's interesting. I don't know. Even the, the gentleman, oh, gentleman, the per, the man who is leading this group who did this. Uh, somebody asked him, "You know, why are you doing this? Are you making a point?" He said, "No, I just live here." Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, again, <laughs> on and he. He just happens to say that. But obviously, I think Father McBride gave an interesting answer when someone asked him. Uh, he said, you know, why is this happening? He said, usually the devil likes to live in the shadows uh, and likes to sort of be out of plain sight to sort of work his, his, his deceptions. But, you know, why is this happening now? Because I think the world has gotten, the church and the world have gotten in such a state that he seizes an, oppor- sees an opportunity to walk into the limelight and get some glory. 
uh, you know, short-lived because he knows he's going to lose the battle. Right. But it, it does show sort of how confident perhaps the devil is in, in the conquests he's made in our, our, our society now. That That's why he, he wants to step into the limelight for a, for a moment in time. Well, um, God is on his throne, and Our Lady's Immaculate Heart will triumph. End of story. Yes. End of story. And, yes. hey, who knows, out of all of this Catholic action and all of this public stuff that, that, that we saw on our end, yes. how many conversions there may be. Who knows? Well, hopefully many. God willing. And again, I think it was... Yeah. I think it was the right decision, the priest this time. Again, last two years ago, we talked about we had it in the hotel. Um, I think this was a right decision. It was a lot more work, I'll tell you. <laughs> but it was well worth it because there were lots and lots of people walking out of their offices, walking around, driving past, uh, who just stopped. Cars stopped. People yeah. stopped. Yeah. Uh, and, again, it was an opportunity for them to be taken aback and say, whoa, you know, look, and, and at least get some information about the Catholic faith that's yeah. out there and you know, mm-hmm. only God knows right now who who that may be touched that would have never even given this a moment's thought, or maybe exactly. even a Catholic who forgot it was a holy day, right? The great feast of our Lady. This gave them, you know, a grace to to realize that. And God willing, those people, well, twofold, those people who deny that there is evil in the world, people who think it's just all yeah. fluff and rainbows and and uh, butterflies everywhere. Yeah, we'll see. And but God willing, even those souls inside that civic center to be converted. Yes. God yeah. wants them as well. He wants yeah. them to turn, it's, man. It's interesting. One of the most common questions that media asked people was, what would you say to Adam Daniels, these people out there here? Would you hate them? What do you... And it was amazing listening to the faithful and, and different people. Almost every answer I heard people give were, I would say to them, don't despair. You know, even these horrible things you're doing, God will forgive you if, if you seek his forgiveness. And, I, and somebody I heard say to a young young man, do you hate Adam Daniels? I said, no, I... I hate what he's doing, but I, I love that man. You know, God loves him, and God wants him. That's right. Um, so, again, it was really inspiring to see, uh, you know, whereas what they did was filled with a lot of hate and anger, uh, really saw none of that from the faithful that, that came here. It was, it was uh, great just outpourings of charity. The quintessential battle, good versus evil, wasn't it? Huh? There, there it was. Right yes. there it was. Yes, it is. Uh, right there. Listen, yeah. Brian, uh, we know you're busy, and we're going to cut you loose, but thank you so much yeah, for all for you did. Update. Thanks for everything you did down right. there. I mean, uh, what a monumental task, not just for you, but the whole crew. Um, but I know you spearheaded a lot, so God bless you for your work. And keep in touch, and if there's anything we can do for you on this end, you know. Um, just let us know. Let us know. Thank you. Mr. Brian McCall, Oklahoma City. Um, I, I want to say yeah. to thank you to all our listeners that went there yeah. on Monday. And uh, it was, like you said, a lot of work for them to, to put together. Um, but this was for Our Lady, and everybody knew that. We're, we're there to defend her. And I'm just happy that everyone showed up. And, and honored her that way. He did the call. Yes. So thank you. And with that, we will take a break and come back. As we wrap up the show here for a Wednesday morning, aren't you glad you homeschool, Lisa? Yes. I know you are every day. We'll prove it again coming up here as we close out the day, uh, the morning anyway. Magnificat Radio, MagnificatMedia.com. You're listening to your morning tradition with Mike and Lisa Austin here on your morning tradition where we are living our faith.
And we welcome you back. Hello and good morning. Or good afternoon. That's right. Could be evening someplace, I suppose. That too. <laughs> I, uh, we should figure that out. We could say, without saying that good morning, good evening, good night thing, but we could say it's, you know, it's morning time here. It's afternoon in such and such a place. It's nighttime in wherever. I don't know. Sounds like a plan. I figure. I figure they can. They figure. Okay, you guys can figure it out. If we're in the Midwest, United States of America, you know what time it is in you, your home. I hope you do. If it's dark, <laughs> it's probably nighttime, or a nuclear winter has begun. It's uh, Magnificat Radio, MagnificatMedia.com. This is your morning tradition where we are living our faith, homeschooling. We have our homeschooling tip of the week. Christina Perez brings that to us. Uh-huh. Uh, Mom and Dad, and you know, it's, we would love in a perfect world, we could get up every morning, we'd all have breakfast together, Dad would go off to work, Mom would, uh, just like on the Donna Reed show, make lunch for the kids, and away they go to a perfectly good Catholic school, which we can trust. Mm-hmm. That's, That's a perfect true. world. Unfortunately, we don't live in one of those. And so uh, we homeschool. But, and I, if you absolutely positively have to uh, send your kids off to a public school, just uh, be careful, as you all know. So uh, with that in mind, sometimes the public school, <laughs> I need to say sometimes, but they, they really, they'll try to do the right thing. And you think... That the parents are the ones who want to do the right thing with the, the fighting of the school against them. But right. sometimes the school wants to do the right thing, and the parents go, no. So what's going on? All right. So this, I think it was North Carolina. I meant to print the article off, and I didn't, but I did print the flyer off. Middle school students, middle school, okay, were sent home the other day because school is just getting in session. Mm-hmm. Sent home with a flyer about a dress code. Okay, that makes sense. Do's and don'ts. Don't dress this way. Do dress this way. Right. And there were hand-drawn illustrations. Or very good artists did them. I mean, it's not stick figures. Okay. And so, uh, let me pull it up. It's on my desktop here. Um, the pictures are of young men and young ladies. And it says, dress code alert. All right. Alert. Don't wear, it says, clothing that does not provide adequate coverage of the body. And then there are arrows pointing down to a young lady with a, looks like a, a sleeveless tank top with only one, like, strap. Right. Sort of sideways mm-hmm. and low cut. And then there's another one right next to her that's got a very low cut neckline. And then the one next to her, it says, um, oh, yeah, the, the low cut neckline and very tight and then there's another one. There's a young lady be, uh, just under her with a, sort of like a mini skirt sort of thing on. And it says, don't wear. And then it's sunglasses. She's got sunglasses oh. on. They don't want you to wear sunglasses in school. Well, it, who does, really? Right. Why would you? Right, correct. Uh, I can't see the this, this, this blackboard. It's because you're wearing sunglasses. <laughs> uh, it says here, don't wear offensive remarks or any advertisement for drugs, alcohol, or tobacco. Makes sense. Makes perfect sense. And then they have a po- an arrow pointing to the young man. Don't wear low-hung pants. And then you know how the boys oh, sometimes you see yes. that? They've got that pictured. Okay. Uh, don't wear short shorts. It shows a picture of a young lady with what they call Daisy Dukes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and just a, various other... For instance, don't wear undershirts or pajamas. Now, it seems odd. 
you would have to say this about school. They but, wear their underwear or their pajamas to school? Yeah. Now, underwear, what I'm saying is uh, like an underwear T-shirt type of thing. Okay. But pajamas, yeah. These kids are running around in pajamas. You've seen it at the store. I don't really. You see people running around in pajamas or bedroom slippers, and you're going, really? You couldn't take the time to put some clothes on Maybe to go shopping. I just don't notice. Uh, I don't know. That's I'm one like, of my pet peeves. I just Wow. Yeah. So anyway. So what's the, what's the problem here? So the problem, you would think, exactly. What's the problem? The parents are up in arms. Some of them are going, how dare you tell our kids how to dress? If you could see my face right now, that's kind of odd. (laughs) And that's the thing is, we were talking, I forget who I was talking with earlier today about it. Maybe Joseph Provost, I think it was, about if you go back way before even the revolution, Uh way before the French Revolution, the Reformation starts the ball rolling of, this is how I am. How dare you infringe upon how I want to be? And it just goes on and on and on and on. And it can blow it up all the way to where we get a dress code alert sent home and the moms and dads are going, you can't tell my kid how to dress. Well, yes, they can. Yes, we can. And guess what? Uh, now there's uniforms. There should be. Right. But anyway, I, I thought that was interesting. That. Yeah. Aren't you glad you homeschool? Maybe we should have a little jingle or something about aren't you glad you homeschool? Yeah, I am. And... Uh, we get into that. Well, do you want to talk about the Trad, trad Dad Roundtable, like the Times today? Uh, oh, that's right. It's on today. It is. What times, Lisa? 10 a.m., 1 p.m., and 6.30 p.m. today. All right. And we're going to have uh, our it's Tim Meinholz and I, and we have a brand new opening for the show, and our guest will be Jim Morlino from Navi's Pictures, a good friend. We're going to be talking about dads uh, taking more of a leadership role in the prayer life of the family, and so that will be coming up today in the Trad Dad Roundtable. It's all about good traditional Catholic fatherhood. Uh, I think that's pretty much it. One more thing I'd like to say. Go ahead. I would like to also thank everybody that couldn't make it to Oklahoma on Monday, all the people and our, especially our listeners that did extra special prayers, novenas, stations of the cross. We got some emails regarding that, that that's what they did. Oh, neat. And I just want to thank everybody who who participated on, on Monday, whether you were there or not, there in spirit, and did extra things for Our Lady. Um, I know she's, she's pleased with all of us, so thank you so much. And with that, we want to thank Brian McCall from Oklahoma City and, uh, and for his efforts. Thanks for being on. Louis Tafari, thank mm-hmm. you. Tomorrow, Louis will be on with Learning About the Roman Liturgy. Today, the Trad Dead Roundtable. Father uh, Isaac. It's a full day. Yeah, it is. Father Isaac will be on at noon again and at 7 o'clock. Mrs. Weigel, brand new. I think she may have a poem tonight at 7.30. So uh, there you go. Sounds good. Go boldly, huh? Go boldly. All right. Live your Catholic faith. Mike and Lisa Austin here, Magnificat Radio, MagnificatMedia.com. This is your morning tradition where we are. Living our faith. <laughs>